Hello, podcast world. In case you are wondering, I am the old guy in the deep end of the pool with the water wings. At least that's how I feel as I launch into this podcast. I can't really swim, and I should be in the shallow end, but let's face it, the shallow end can get really boring. Sometimes you just gotta jump in the deep end. Welcome to Deeply Spiritual, but rather uncertain. This is a podcast I have wanted to do for a very long time, but have continually put it off in favor of subjects that seemed a little bit easier to tackle. Today we are going to take a new look at the Book of Romans. In my entire deconstruction process, Romans has always been a problem. Often, I've had discussions with people around some of the content that I've put out there, and Romans gets quoted back at me. It's because Romans, in many ways, is the whole underpinning of conservative evangelical Christianity. It's like dominoes. If Romans falls, it all falls. Let me begin by saying that Romans is a very complicated book. Does anybody really know what Paul is on about? Theologians are all over the place on this, which is understandable because the letter is all over the place. Paul makes an argument about one thing and then gets sidetracked to something else and then to something else, and then he goes back to the first argument only to get sidetracked again to something totally different. If anybody tells you that Romans is easy to understand, then they haven't really studied it. When it comes to our modern conservative Christian beliefs, Romans is the filter through which we define pretty much all of the tenets of our faith. Salvation, justification, the gospel, predestination, original sin, substitutionary atonement, it all starts with Romans. One of the things I talked about a few podcasts ago, and I've actually spoken a lot about since, is how we interpret the entire Bible through a wrong interpretation of what the gospel is. Well, where do we get that wrong interpretation? from the book of Romans, of course. I remember back in the 70s when we were taught what it means to be a Christian through what was called the Romans Road. It went like this. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And finally, Romans 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart, you will be saved. There you go. The gospel in four verses. It's really all you need. We could kind of chuck out the rest of the Bible because everything you need to know is right there in Romans. Drop the mic, walk off the stage. 
For many of us, Romans is full of problematic verses and passages. Take that crazy part about election and predestination. What you may not have noticed before is that that section comes right in the middle of two of the most dearly loved passages in the entire book of Romans. Romans 8.28, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Then there's those two pesky verses that unless you're a card-carrying Calvinist, you would rather skip over. But immediately following that is the passage where Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? It goes on to tell us that there is nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God. But there are those two stupid verses right in the middle. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he has predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What the heck do we do with that? Or for a guy like me, who doesn't really believe in the traditional evangelical idea of original sin, what do we do with the verse in Romans 5? It says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Or when I did my podcast on the wrath of God quite a while ago, you may have noticed that I didn't bring up this verse in Romans chapter 1. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. See what I mean? This book is a problem, and at times just confuses the heck out of me, to be perfectly honest. Oh, but then there are passages in there that I just love. The one I mentioned before in Romans 8 that speaks to the fact that nothing can separate us from God's love is a passage that I have read at just about every funeral service I have ever officiated. And believe me, that's a lot. Or in the beginning of chapter 8 where it says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The beginning of Romans 12 carries incredibly deep meaning for me. My father used to preach a sermon called The Point of No Return from Romans 12, 1 and 2. I heard that sermon many times as a kid growing up, and I've even preached it a few times. It is super, super meaningful to me. So what do we do with Romans. Some progressive theologians would say that Paul just got it wrong. I know for some people, 
To say something like that would be like running your fingernails across a chalkboard. They think that if we say Paul got it wrong, then it means that the, the whole Bible isn't without error. And if Paul got it wrong, then we might as well throw out the whole thing. And then how do we decide which parts Paul got wrong? Do we just like pick and choose? If there's something I don't like, can I just say, oh, Paul got it wrong so I can just ignore that? Like when Paul says a woman should cover her head in church. Now, I know that this still holds true in the Orthodox Church, but show me one evangelical church where all the women are required to cover their heads. Oh, we have all kinds of ways to explain this away, but the bottom line is we just act like Paul got it wrong. Just on a side note that's really interesting, look at that whole passage because it's the same passage that we get this idea of a chain of command in the home. Christ over the church and a man over his wife. We're happy to throw out the part about the head coverings as cultural, but not the part about the chain of command. Aren't we just picking and choosing already? Oh, and then there's the thoughts about Paul's view of the second coming of Jesus. What is pretty clear, at least in his earlier days, was that Paul thought Christ would come in his lifetime. Later in his letters, he seems to believe something different than that, but clearly he got it wrong. So what if he did? So what if he didn't understand everything perfectly? Does that bother me? Well, it used to. doesn't anymore. There are plenty of thoughts and ideas that seem to change over time throughout the Bible. Certainly, Jesus did it. On numerous occasions, he would say, you've heard it said this, but I'm telling you this. It's like he said, this is what the scriptures taught, but I'm going to teach you something totally different. There's a lot of other examples I could give, but I love this one. What is your attitude towards a eunuch? Okay, it's probably not a subject that you've stayed up nights thinking about, or maybe you have. The Bible describes a eunuch as a man that is missing a certain part of his anatomy. Maybe he was born that way. Maybe he chose to have it cut off. Maybe he was abused. Today, the general term we use for people like this is queer. So what does the Bible say about our attitude towards queer people? Well, in Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, a eunuch could not even enter the temple. Here's what it says in the King James Version. He that is wounded in the stones or hath his privy member cut off 
shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. You gotta love the King James. So that's Deuteronomy. That's early in the story. But then later in the story, in the book of Isaiah, it says this, chapter 56, it's verses 4 and 5, I think. For, for this is what the Lord says, I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than sons or daughters could give. For I will give them a name that is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. Then in the New Testament, you read this story about Philip and a eunuch from Ethiopia. And this eunuch believes in Jesus and is baptized by Philip. Baptism was full inclusion into the church, part of the fellowship in every way, no restrictions. So the Bible seems to have moved and have shifted in its view toward eunuchs. There are so many things like this that when you trace them across the centuries of the biblical narrative, the view has shifted. So why do we think that everything stopped moving with Paul? Why do we think that finally the truth was revealed? What if Paul was just part of the story? And what if the story continues? What if we are supposed to keep it moving? What if we are supposed to take all that we read in the scriptures right up through Paul and then look at them through the lens of our world and work to discover what God might be saying now? After all, that is exactly what Paul did. Paul took the scriptures and he looked at them through a new and a different lens. He actually reinterpreted them. I want to give you an example or two, but first, think about what a big deal this was to the Apostle Paul. Paul was a Pharisee. He was a big deal Pharisee in his time. He had studied with one of the greatest teachers of that day. The Pharisees were all about the law. Not only did they follow the law to the letter, but they also loved it. And they would defend it to the death if need be. When we first meet Paul in Acts, at that time he was going by his Jewish name, Saul, but he was persecuting the Christians. But I doubt if he saw it that way. He saw that he was defending his God from people who would seek to destroy Judaism as he knew it. He was doing God's work. But then... He has this experience where he comes face to face with Jesus. 
After that, he meets with Ananias, and his sight is restored, and he meets with some prominent Jews in Jerusalem. But after that, he apparently drops off the map for a few years. What was he doing during that time? Deconstructing. See, everything he had believed with 100% of his being had been thrown out the window with one encounter with Jesus. Everything he had given his life for, everything he had been taught, it was all gone. So there he is, deconstructing all of that but also reconstructing what it all means in light of the fact that Jesus truly was the Messiah. Don't ever underestimate how difficult this deconstruction process can be. I don't think Paul's deconstruction ended with those three years. I think it was ever progressing, ever moving, ever growing. So when we come to Romans, this deconstruction process for Paul has been going on for like 20 years now. And and you see him taking the scripture that he loved and that he deeply believed in, and reinterpreting it through his new lens as Jesus is the Messiah. Let me give you just one example. Romans chapter 9. Paul's focus is on the fact that both Jews and Gentiles are God's chosen people. And in this passage, he quotes two passages from the book of Hosea. The first one starts with the words, Those who are not my people, I will now call my people. It's from chapter um, 1 of Hosea, verse 10, if you want to look it up. But in Romans, Paul tells us that those who are not my people are the Gentiles. That sounds well and good, but it is not the context of Hosea. It's not what Hosea is talking about. Hosea is talking about Jews who have turned their back on God, not Gentiles at all. Paul takes great liberty to reconstruct, to reinterpret this passage in light of this new lens that he is looking through. Until I started preparing this episode, I never thought much about Paul's deconstruction. But the more I think about it, the more intrigued I am by this idea. And what I see in Paul is what I've seen in so many people these days. It all starts with one idea. One thing that comes to light in a new way. For Paul... It was that Jesus truly was the Messiah. Once that became real for him, and once that came into focus, he used it as the lens through which he saw everything else. He spent the rest of his life reinterpreting everything through that lens 
because once he saw it, he couldn't unsee it. For me, it was the verse in Colossians that says Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Not part of the image of God, but the full image of God. I began to, and I continue to reinterpret everything I've always thought, everything I've always believed, everything I've always given my life for, to reinterpret it all through that lens. Once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. Okay, now I'm getting a little sidetracked. Let me get back to the point of the last 15 minutes, if I didn't just completely lose you. Did Paul get some things wrong? Well, Paul was human, just like you and I. Paul had cultural baggage, religious baggage, personal baggage, just like you and I do. The lens through which Paul saw the scriptures in relation to Jesus as the Messiah included all of that baggage. There were some old ideas that he had to let go of and some new ideas that he had to embrace. So might he have gotten some things wrong? Absolutely. Does it mean that we have to throw the whole thing out? Absolutely not. I'm sure that for some of you, this idea is quite frustrating because it feels like you just pick and choose what you like and what you don't like. Everything that is difficult to live out or hard to understand, you just throw out, and everything that is easy and comfortable, you embrace. You really don't even have to give that much thought. Just take the easy stuff. That is not what I am saying in any way, shape, or form. I believe we need to struggle and wrestle with the difficult parts as well. I think we need to take what Paul is saying incredibly seriously and try to understand what that means for our lives and how it impacts the world that we live in. So all of that gets me to the thing that I really want to talk about. What if we looked at the book of Romans from a totally different point of view? What if our starting point was different? Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. In 2012, a fascinating documentary was released called Searching for Sugar Man. It's the story of a singer-songwriter from Detroit, Michigan in the 60s by the name of Sixto Rodriguez. It's a story of a guy who made music in Detroit but sold very few records in the United States. But here in South Africa, he was an absolute rock star, selling more albums than almost anybody in that era. The only thing was Rodriguez never knew it. He never received any royalties or information about the fame that he had in South Africa. It really is one of the most fascinating music industry stories I have ever heard. 
I remember when the film came out, one of my sons told me about it, and I said, who is Rodriguez? So I started asking my South African friends, have you ever heard of this guy, Rodriguez? And their response was, wait, you haven't? You're kidding, right? But I had never heard of him, and yet to them, he was a household name, like Bob Dylan or the, the Beatles. So if I had come across a Rodriguez song before I watched the movie, I would have heard it as a washed-up Detroit Bob Dylan wannabe. But when my South African friends listen to the music, it's one of the greatest artists of all time. Now that I know the story, I approach the music very differently from a very different point of view. See, your point of view, your starting point is everything. Where you start when you approach music or art or writing like the book of Romans changes everything. The point of view with which most of us have approached the book of Romans is that this book tells us how we come into right standing with God. In Christianese language, it tells us how to get saved. The theological word we use is soteriology. It's the doctrine of salvation. We would say that Romans outlines the doctrine of personal salvation, and we read the entire book from that point of view. But what if that's not right? What if our starting point is wrong? What if Paul isn't trying to give a defense of the evangelical doctrine of personal salvation, but he's doing something totally different? I'm going to have to leave that question out there for the next podcast because we are out of time today. A lot of the material that I'll be using comes from a guy called Pete Enns. I've talked about him before. But let me give you just a little teaser. What if Paul's central question is not how to get saved, but rather who makes up the people of God? What if the book isn't written to the individual, but rather to a group of people? For me, this idea was mind-blowing, and I'm still trying to get my head around all of it, but it changes the way I look at the entire book. So I hope you will join me in the next podcast or two while we unpack that idea and then look at some of the key passages in Romans and see how that impacts how we interpret them. And while you're waiting for that, if you haven't checked out my Patreon page, please do. It's a place you can support the podcast with as little as a dollar a month. It works anywhere in the world with a credit card from any country. You don't have to be in America to spend dollars. There's also some extra content there that's not on the podcast site. You find it all at patreon.com forward slash Skip Collins. The link is below. So until next time, keep safe. Shalom. Shalom.